All right, Kim. Okay. Good. So now um, we're going to shift gears again, and I'm going to spend just a brief time um, talking a little bit about poly. This class is called Entering the World of the Poly Canon. And um, at some point, we need to reckon with the fact that the poly canon is in the poly language. And, you know, we've just heard about um, translations and something about that process and something about reading. And all of that, um, you know, does uh, let us know that there are very reliable English translations available. Um, But at some point, sometimes we get a sense, well, why not go to the source? You know, could we access these texts in the original language in which they were written down. And there's a number of reasons why this may be of interest. Um, So if we start looking at the Pali, even if we don't know very much Pali, um, we will notice, like if we look say on Sutta Central where they have the English and the Pali next to each other and you start kind of navigating through, sometimes one Pali word is rendered into a number of different English words because it's used with different nuances. Even within one text, you may have the same Pali word translated differently. A good example is the word chitta, uh, which is sometimes translated as mind and sometimes as heart. Um, Some translators cheat and say heart mind. No, they're not cheating. Um, uh, And even uh, recently, Bhikkhu Sujato has uh, translated chitta as intention which is a little different. So, and I've heard Ajahn, um, sorry, that was Ajahn Sujato, and Ajahn Suchito is translated chitta as awareness. So these are quite different English words, and that may even occur within one text. So you don't realize it's the same Pali word being translated those different ways. And then we also get the reverse. Sometimes one English word is being used for more than one Pali word. So for example, in the Eightfold Path, the fifth step, right effort, is sama vayamo, but this word effort in the five faculties is virya. Um, we just use effort for all of them, and many people don't realize that the eightfold path step, for example, is a different, you know, is a different word in Pali. So let me say immediately that it is not necessary to learn Pali grammar and become a translator. The English translations we have now are quite sufficient thanks largely to Bhikkhu Bodhi um, and, and others now. But we thought people in this group might be somewhat more interested than average in learning a little bit about Pali. So I'm just going to say a, a bit. Um, my view is that everyone who's a Buddhist practitioner would benefit from learning some basic Pali words and phrases. So at the very least, to learn the common terms that are used in Dharma talks, such as Dukkha, metta, sati, sila, samadhi, panya, nibbana, words like that. There may be, I don't know, 25 of those, something like that, that would be really commonly used. Um, Teachers will, of course, most frequently translate them when they say them, but every now and then not. And so just knowing them can provide a little connection. Um, A good place to learn some of these words would be Uh, various glossaries of Pali terms. And 
uh, on Sutta Central when David was showing those indexes at the bottom, the last one he didn't show was called terminology. And if you click on that one, um, while you're checking out also the similes and the names and so forth, uh, you'll get a, a wonderful reference for basic Pali words. So um, I would recommend looking at that resource. And then, you know, once you've seen a good glossary like this, you might get interested then in learning some of the key doctrinal terms, such as those that are found in the lists. So you might want to learn the five faculties, which are sata, virya, sati, samadhi, and panya. So you recognize maybe some of those words that I said earlier. Or you might want to learn the factors of the Eightfold Path, or if you're more ambitious, the 12 steps of dependent arising. And you start to get interested in the in these words sometimes and how they you know, resonate through the teachings. And then we might move on from nouns to verbs, like um, the noun sati, mindfulness, comes from the verb sarati, to remember. And so that can be you know, useful to, well, remember. <laughs> um, now, we don't learn Pali in order to speak it, um, but there is, I think, also some value in learning pronunciation. And um, for me, at least, at least basic pronunciation, you, you, you can see for yourself. But for me, um, being a little bit careful and making some effort to pronounce the Pali is part of the respect that I offer to the language and to the tradition. So I'd like to... Um, share my screen and show just some really basic pronunciation terms. Let me see if that works. Yes. Okay. So if you learn just four things, you can really do, is it showing? Okay, thank you for the thumbs up. If you learn just four things, you can do really well with Polly. Um, the first is that C is pronounced C-H, so the word like chara, um, and uh, or chita, maybe that's even better. Okay, and then um, T-H is uh, an aspirated T. It's not like th, like uh, we don't say theravada, like the word therapy, um, although it's a nice link, I guess, but um, that would be a Theravada, so a T with a, an aspiration after it, Theravada. And then PH is not pronounced like F in Pali, it's pronounced, it's an aspirated P, so that's P with a H after it. So uh, Diana likes to give the example that it's like the PH in upholstery. Um, so this word pasa, contact, is also um, pronounced in that way. And then we can distinguish long and short A's, which Diana mentioned earlier. So here we have uh, terra va, the long A, vada, terra vada. So there's the A and the A, two different kinds of A. So then this is really near the end, but of the time I have, but I'm going to scroll down and give you a little quiz. Um, can anybody pronounce this word? <laughs> This is a word for the Buddha, so it's, you know, kind of important. So this word is pronounced Tathagata, okay, Tathagata, based on some of those earlier rules I had. Um, so this is just, um, you know, some examples, and it's, it's worth it to go through 
Uh, somebody made a chat comment about whether the, the there's a pronunciation. Um, it's possible to hear the Pali on Sutta Central, and it is. I, I do recommend that as, and also the chant that we heard was in Pali, for example, and that that uh, chanter had really excellent Pali. I have to say, and, and they had a Sri Lankan accent maybe, but uh, the Pali was very clear. I thought in that chant that we heard last time. So um, if you really want to go deeper into all of this, we're going to give you a handout that has, you know, places you could actually learn polygrammar. Um, and also, you know, references like to this book I mentioned earlier, reading the Buddhist discourses in Pali, which is kind of nice. Not a beginner book, by the way. You would want to start somewhere else. But just my last point is that... Um, for me, uh, I, I'm not a poly expert, but I have put some effort into it over several years and um, have found in my own practice that there are new Dharma understandings from reading the texts in Pali compared to reading them in English. So I just offer that from my experience. It's not necessary. Please don't feel obligated or get feel guilty or feel like this is necessary, you know, anything like that, but just, just sharing from my heart. Um, there's something about these texts in their original language that can resonate and can deepen practice when we're connected to the text also in other ways. It just settles into the system um, somewhat profoundly, I would say. And they, that provides a transition to um, Ying to tell us more about uh, the deeper contemplative aspects of these sacred texts. Yeah, thank you, Kim, and thank you for my co-teachers. I'm just truly delighted to be a student of my co-teachers here. Um, yeah, so we'll take a moment to maybe transition to um, another way of being with Pali Canon. Um, and maybe uh, in transition from what uh, Kim, Diana, and David said, I'd also encourage those of you who have a different mother tongue and a different language. And um, Sutta Central has all these different language translations um, that some of them are available and that you can look up. For me, uh, my mother tongue is Chinese and reading it in my mother tongue language, um, the translations sometimes can be very powerful. And like Kim was saying, uh, evoke different sense because language also involves culture, our hearts, um, that may be hard to be expressed uh, if we're only looking at one specific way of relating to it. And so that's also available. And um, I'll shift the gear by saying that um, some of you might have heard uh, Gil Franstow, um, one of our teachers, um, have said this uh, often on maybe retreats and even in the pandemic period, I heard him saying this a few times, that is, imagine yourself uh, to be a contemplative so sometimes he would start the day at 7 a.m. and then say, you know, for the rest of the day, imagine yourself to be a contemplative. Is so I'm a fond of this word uh, contemplative and a contemplative life 
evokes a sense of uh, vividness and being alive and unrushed. And so today, one way I was um, thinking of uh, sharing some reflections about how we uh, establish, cultivate relationships with Pali Canon text uh, is along the lines of um, maybe a contemplative relationship with this text. Uh, we're entering in, into this world and not to kind of rush and just all of a sudden getting to know everything and you know, reading this huge books. And I certainly had done this before. And I remember you know, trying to tackle the Sudhimaga, one of the commentaries, and it was so effective to put me uh, asleep. <laughs> it took me a while not until uh, really deepening uh, in the practice and doing it on retreats and um, and in daily life, at some point, I find my mind ready to take in the text. And so I think for all of us, uh, when we engage with uh, uh, this text, um, just know that this is a, a little by little kind of a process. Um, So, um, let me look at my notes here. Um, So I want to say a few words about um, how one can deepen the contemplative relationship with text and maybe offer some uh, tips and some um, uh, uh, methods or her um, just reflections um, based on some of um, my own experiences working with, with the text and observing others as well. But I would say this is maybe just one kind of relationship. And then for those of you who are engaged with this, maybe you find other ways that not necessarily lumping into contemplative and then could be uh, very supportive in your cultivation as well. Um, but I just say today, um, this will be um, the focus of my reflection. And um, I'll, I'll speak about this in few dimensions, and that has to do with uh, cultivating our understanding and reflection of the teachings uh, from the text, and maybe remembering the text, and then acting according to the teachings. And we heard Diana sharing this Dhammapata verse. Um, When we hear the teachings, how we act. And then uh, the last one is knowing what what the teachings are pointing to for ourselves. And so the first dimension in terms of understanding the teachings uh, from um, the the text um, Often, I guess, a lot of us engage with um, the text through reading. We can do silent reading. Um, we read out loud. And we've heard some of this in our course uh, also. Maybe reading at different paces, sometimes fast, sometimes really slow. And I would also uh, kind of uh, invite some creativity if you're reading uh, with a small group together, uh, especially the scenes in uh, um, Nikaya, you can act them out. 
and just really make it alive in you. Visualize the scene and kind of act it uh, act it out. And for me, I also have uh, recorded my own reading of certain passages in the sutta. I know Diana recorded many suttas that she read in different sutta classes, sutta study classes. And then you can listen to them. And they're also audiobooks now. Um, for me, it was evoking kind of a different senses in engaging with this text, allow the text to begin to sink in ourselves deeper. So maybe you hear and you read, and then you evoke your own voice or others' voice uh, into the system. And then also um, read them again and again and again <laughs> and again. So at different times. And so um, maybe different times, different words will start uh, jumping out at you. Um, and some of them you may not understand. Um, like Diana was saying, you may have a, even a sense of dislike. Um, but over time, something may shift and change in terms of how you relate to the text. So that's related to understanding and maybe reflecting the suttas. And then you can also um, bring the uh, verses in, in a meditative contemplation, just like the, a couple of times that we did in this course, reflecting upon the text. I. Uh, I love, um, I think all my time spent in uh, reflecting the text and studying text at work in uh, study groups. So that's another way as, you know, you're all experiencing this together. So a whole group of people doing this together. And I remember early days of a sutta study uh, led by Shayla Catherine was happening in Kim's apartment <laughs> back 20 years ago. <laughs> Uh, so doing that in small groups can be really, really helpful. Um, and then um, the next dimension is after maybe reading, contemplating, reflecting, is to memorize and maybe remembering the teachings. Some of the verses really touch you. Set them in our memory, you know, their whole mind and heart and body. And part of it is, uh, I, I know for myself, you know, I'm very forgetful. <laughs> I can read a bunch of things, but then a lot of things just kind of fall out of a memory. Um, but if we really kind of make an intention uh, to set certain verses that touch us deeply in our memory, it has many different functions. And so, for example, the Metta Sutta we shared um, it has a protective function for me. So sometimes if I feel like I'm rushing about to say something and that probably aren't very nice and aren't helpful, and I could remember the words, um, this is what the wise people would do. And I would kind of take a pause. Oh, oh, okay. You know, some other options might be available. And so it can have this function of, protecting ourselves, and also really just to remember, like a sati, to remember, to remember being here. And so uh, setting it in memory, whether through chanting, bring it alive in us, 
uh, or play a recording um, and letting them set into the system. Um, practicing um, with the text on a retreat can be really helpful. And some of you may have done this. And I know Biku Analio have, um, has ca uh, came to IRC before, did retreats where uh, Sutta study is part of it. And so you, if you have opportunities, um, definitely, um, you know, that's another way of engaging with the text. And act accordingly. That's maybe the last word I'll say. That is, the text touches us in certain ways when we begin to cognize it, understand it, but not until we really sink it deeply in our own um, body and mind and heart. Um, we are not yet changed by it. So allow it to change how we behave, how we act, and how we operate in this, in this life, in this world. And the last word I'll say, that this kind of a deeper and richer relationship with the text um, comes gradually, so not overnight. We don't have to rush ourselves. We must do something. We must behave a certain way. But really allow it to take a sweet time. Um, and uh, so um, may you all enjoy this journey, maybe a lifetime relationship with the text. So thank you. Thank you, Ying. Now in the in the un, unhurried spirit that Yang just just uh, um, just encouraged us to, we'd like to we'd like to move into some small group discussion of um, what's coming up for these things. The the the, the question for the groups is sort of um, how might given what we've just been exploring these last couple of days, um, how might engagement with the Pali Canon fit into your practice? You know, and for those who already have a place for it, how what's new? Uh, what what might come up that you know you you've heard about that you hadn't considered as a way to use the text of the canon to to uh, enhance your practice? These will be groups of four or five. We'll have about twenty minutes or so. Why don't we proceed in the order of the first initial of a, of the screen name, and go in a spiral, move around, maybe just pointing out one thing that comes up for you and, and, you know, reflecting on what comes up with others and, and use that kind of format to uh, have a, have a rich conversation. If you notice resistance, again, kind of riffing on what Diana and Ying have both pointed to, if there's resistance or if you feel, you know, uh, an intention to master the 57 volumes of the Pali version of these texts of the, of the Sutta Pitika, just watch those things as they come up in your practice. Uh, if somebody seems much more experienced and you feel as words that have come up about ignorant, I've heard today, uh, or, you know, not knowing much, just, just watch those things come up in your experience. This is, this is another way that we just make immediate use of this, of everything that comes up as, as practice. So if we're ready, Diana, I tried to give you enough time to do the work behind the scenes. Enjoy, enjoy one another's company. Here we go.
Let's wait for a couple more groups to close. There we come. Good. I think maybe that's all of us or close. So we have a we have um, we have just a few minutes for questions uh, or, or anything uh, shared reflections, uh, anything that comes up in the uh, in the breakout rooms that that would be uh, useful to share with with us. Uh, so again, use your Zoom hand if if you can find it in your version of Zoom and um, share a reflection, ask a question. And I see, I'm just looking at hands. I, Randy has previously asked a question today, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say, uh, Nancy, I see Nancy's hand up. Thank you, David. Yeah. I'm just wondering, are there, um, is there a specific study group of people that um, read aloud, read the text aloud? You know, if you um, find a couple friends to do that, there is one. <laughs> Um, I think I think there okay, are many. I didn't know if there was one that. Yeah, existed. I think there. Are, I think there are many, and we really encourage people to sort of, you know, uh, begin begin one. Uh, and others, other teachers may know of specific ones, but I think there are, there are a lot of uh, study groups, and uh, you know, if you're in one and there isn't reading, that that would be something to add. So anyway, that's my that's my first response. Kim Ying, are there ones that you know of that you could refer Nancy to? Yeah, Kim has one. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be careful, but uh, I can. Yeah, I offer a um, weekly sutta contemplation on Fridays from 11 to noon online. And we could include some information about that in a follow-up email. Everyone's welcome to join and we read the text out loud and then uh, discuss. Oh, great. Thank you, Kim. And maybe I'll just say the Gilfran Stoll and I are starting a course on the Majjhima Nikaya that starts next week. And um, for that, um, there will be audio recordings of the suttas so that you can listen to them as well as uh, read them. And the audio recording is me, right? But so you, not, I'm not a professional sutta reader, but uh, somebody who uh, has a love for the suttas. Thank you. I'm part of your class. Yeah. A final note would just be that we will continue our intention, uh, Yang, Kim, Diana's and mine, is to continue offering these c- classes in this study and practice mode in which we, I think, more and more um, read texts out loud uh, because that can be such an inspiring thing to do and thing to hear. So keep joining us for these. Find them on the Sati Center page and we'll probably provide some links uh, going forward. So uh, let me call next on April. Oh, and uh, unmute yourself, April. Just a technical question, because I'm usually technologically challenged and really have to work at it. So um, this, this, uh, these sessions you're offering are going to be separate from the actual uh, class that Diana and Gil are doing, correct? Which is on Thursdays from 3.30 to 4.30. But you will also offer separate 
opportunities for maybe group engagement or clarification of the teachings or whatever. And the link, you already said a link. Uh, it's something like classroom, something or another. So just technically, maybe go through how if people didn't get the link or they need to know how to navigate it, how would we do that? So both both sessions are going to be recorded, and you can go back to either of them if you can't make it, correct? But they are yeah. going to be they are going to be separate. When the emphasis is on reading all the material before the class, whether you're going to hear it on a recording or you can manage it in person, the idea is to go through the material so you can make some sense of it as you go as as the class is presented. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm just trying to clarify the process because I found it kind of confusing. Like, what's the you know that. The, that these were foundation classes, but that's not the actual class. So I had to kind of work it through in my mind. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if other people uh, had issues. Apologies if it's not been uh, clear. And probably it's because we continue to sort of build the airplane on the runway as we take <laughs> off. Uh, but fine. yeah, our, our intention is to, that this be sort of a, a you know, a foundational class uh, uh-huh. for people and that, and that any of the other classes in a way, now when we refer to the Satipatthana Sutta or Majjhima 10 or Majjhima Nikaya 10, it'll make a little bit more sense and be easier to find. As to recordings, yes, we continue to record and provide links to those when when that seems like the right thing to do. Right. And then, you know, these classes are follow-on classes only in the sense that we're kind of offering through IMC and the Sati Center, and they are all kind of interrelated. They all bring right. various versions of this group together who cares about bringing the suttas into their practice. And then Kim's class is yet another, uh, another right. thing. Uh, right. okay. Hopefully, hopefully that helps clarify. And yeah, Diana. I just want to it would be worth because there's so much going. On. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll say just one. Help somebody else do. Yeah. But the, with the Majjhima Nikaya class that Gail and I are doing, that we set up a Google Classroom, and we're just going to be building on it, just be adding and adding and adding more and more documents as the course uh, goes. So uh, that's a little bit different than what we are doing here. Here, you didn't have to, you didn't have to read things beforehand. Right. But right. For, so to get into that Google Classroom, following the link that you got after you registered, mm-hmm. and then you have all the material. So let's take a uh, one or possibly two more questions. Sandy, you have your hand up. On um, I just wanted to follow on on what uh, Ying said about memorization. Um, thanks to Kim's encouraging us during her sandwich retreats to read the uh, Metta Sutta every morning. Um, I love the translation that she gave us so much that I memorized it and, and have made that sort of a daily practice for myself of reciting it first thing in the morning. Um, so I just wanted to encourage people when you read something in the suttas that you really respond to, uh, that memorizing it, uh, can, can be a really wonderful thing because you just have a different relationship to the text once you've memorized it and it's, it's kind of part of you versus just reading the words on a page. Um, and for people who are interested in that, I just wanted to say, 
that particular translation is called the Amara is done by was done by the Amaravati Sangha. Um, I'll type that into the chat. You can Google that and find it. It's just a terrific translation. Yeah, very much appreciated, Sandy. Nicely noted. And uh, an additional aspect of that is that you know when you bring things into um, your mind, you're you're continuing this practice of thousands of years of this being a way to incorporate the Dhamma in in your in your life and to um, carry it carry it on. And you'll find it pers- with regard to something we've been talking about today that here and there a word will stick. Maybe it's a pronoun, or maybe it's another thing. And that too is a way of engaging that you only find when it's in your mind. It's like, oh, this word, this or this translation of a word, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it, it, something's going on in the mind. So that, that is something also to be encountered with memorization or just reading out loud as people have pointed to. So um, one more question. I saw Randy's hand up and Randy, I didn't mean to say go away. We do have a minute. If you have a question, come back. Where is Randy? And if not, that's fine. And if there's another question, that's good. There's uh, Randy. Yeah. I, I actually just had a little technical question for uh, to follow up on something Diana said last week, which was the relationship between Sanskrit and Pali, that, which I can Google also. But um, you said that the relationship was uh, like between uh, Latin and French. So it, that kind of intrigued me. So I wonder if you had anything else to say about that. I guess my point was, well, let's say this. If you study Sanskrit, you can figure out Pali. But if you study Pali, you can't necessarily figure out Sanskrit. And because, uh, so in the same way that French doesn't have as many cases, declensions, if, you know, like as Latin does, therefore French is a little bit easier that kind of a thing. Yeah. So maybe I'll just stop with that. So thank you for those questions. We appreciate that. Uh, appreciate hearing what comes up. Um, and I'll pass it over to Kim to sort of start to move us toward, uh, toward close. Okay, great. Thank you. So, yeah, we are getting near the end of the second session and final session of this um, course on entering the world of the Pali Canon. And I just want us to maybe step back and gather a bit in these last few minutes. So we've really been on quite a grand tour, if you will. You know, we looked at a little bit of the history of how these texts were put together and um, we uh, looked at particular translations. Um, we felt them in our uh, body through the readings. We considered that the, they're in the original Pali language, strategies for contemplating and making these texts uh, a part of the practice. And just so we, we've really kind of made ourselves somewhat more intimate, I hope, with these sacred scriptures and with the teachings that they transmit. So I thought we would just take a moment to reflect and just consider for yourself among all those things. You don't have to then say, oh, no, what was all that? Don't worry about it. Instead, think about, kind of focus on the highlights that stood out for you. If you just take a moment of reflection, what is it that is lingering in your heart 
from these two sessions together. One or two things. And then I would invite a sense of trust that what feels meaningful to you right now about all of this that we've covered about the polycanon is probably exactly what you were supposed to receive from the course. It's, it's just the perfect thing. And so just having that sense of trust is a, one more contemplative method for approaching the suttas, is we just trust that what we read will stand out in certain ways and that what's meaningful will start to work in us. And as it works, we change. And then when we read the text, something else will seem meaningful. And there's a process going on there. So I would like to end on that note of trust, of faith in these sacred scriptures that we've looked at. And in the spirit of continuing to engage with these, we um, I'll just mention that our, our next opportunity is actually coming up in just a, a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have a short class, three sessions on the awakening poems of the senior monks and nuns, the Teragata and the Terigata. And Diana's going to put a link in the chat um, if you want more information about that. So that will be, you know, perhaps somewhat different from the classes where we've looked at prose and certainly from this class, which has had a lot more informational content. So the, we, and we did that deliberately. It's so close to this one. We thought, let's do something really different. So we're going to look at poetry. And um, yeah, I think that's it. So I'll pass it on to, to David, or if there's anything else that needs to be said that I forgot, somebody else could chime in. And I'll just piggyback right on, on what Kim said by saying, too, that having spoken now about reading the text out loud, we, that will be part of the Awakening Poems class. We, our intention is to use our voices, but also your voices, uh, and, and sort of bring the readings, bring these verses into our practice very directly by putting them in the voices of the community that is um, guarding and transmitting the teachings in this way. So let me, let me end with a couple notes. We, we often get questions after the class or at this point uh, about how people can support the, these offerings at the Sati Center. We, the four of us, I can speak for the four of us, I think, here, we, we love the way that the, the Dharma practice is supported, buoyed up by um, a field of generosity and gratitude. Uh, makes us really happy to offer these teachings freely. And it just seems like magic that the Sati Center and IMC and IRC are all supported entirely by the community's um, practice of generosity and the incorporation of generosity in their practice as part of their practice, as Diana said, an integral part of the practice, certainly that practice that we see reflected in the Pali Canon. So having said that, Diana is going to uh, paste in there a link uh, to that allows you to go straight to the um, the little donate button on the on the Sati Center page. Should that be should that be part of your practice? Um, so let's uh, close. It's a minute after, but let's close with a brief dedication of merit. Uh, and I'd like to recognize in in this the um, generosity of spirit that brings us together as a community to. Um, to engage with these aspects of our, of our practice. Uh, 
and may um, to make to evoke the um, simile or metaphor of the raft may this engagement with the polycanon may the polycanon itself be uh, something that we use that's useful to us in crossing over and becoming more awake in the world uh, may we not cling to it may we take benefit from our engagement with it and share that widely with all the people we come into uh, contact and may we not experience it as a burden one more thing to be mastered or done or done well may we hold it lightly and find in it both inspiration and insight so may all the beings affected by our practice big and small here and there um, may they experience um, may they experience safety may they be uh, healthy may they thrive may they be free from suffering and the roots of suffering may all beings be free With the uh, fading of the third bell, we invite people to unmute and say farewell till our paths cross again, which may be just in a couple few weeks uh, or sometime in the future. Take care, everybody. Thank Wonderful you. To practice Thank you. 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 Thank